a Podcast One production. This is The Game Plan with Dr Nick Krasner and this is a really interesting one, Dr Nick. We're talking today about how to reprogram your brain to create your goal. And in episodes one and two, we talked about how to create your big goal and also how your current belief structures can impinge on your goal But this is maybe one of the most difficult steps so far, isn't it, Dr. Nick? It is. It is. It's... um it's quite simple, but like a lot of simple things, it's not e- not necessarily easy. And some of this will be going back into uh, some memories that might be difficult. Uh, I'd like to put a caveat in just at the start that if, if this is very difficult for somebody, uh, very emotional, uh, if somebody's got psychological difficulties, then it might be a step that you need to discuss with your doctor first. So what will we be actually going through in this episode? Well, again, what we really want to do is get a whole big picture um, of the future that you really want. Uh, and it's a great, wonderful thing to do this. We've we've started to create it through podcasts one and two. Uh, and of course, if, if people haven't, then it might be worth just popping back and having a listen and doing a little bit of the homework. And then how do you start to put it on the brain? Um, but just as important as that, often we don't make our goals because of things in the past that have happened and our beliefs around mm. them. So we'll be looking at how do we find those beliefs and how do we potentially reprogram those and how do we take that into our future so that actually not only are we being pulled by our future for it to happen, but we're being pushed by our past into the future we really want. Uh, And we put it into sort of five points for this episode. Uh, The first one is just creating a picture of your future in your head. Uh, Again, we've sort of done quite a bit of that already in the first couple of episodes. Then you need to combine all your other senses with that picture. And then the next step is you need to reframe some of your inner child beliefs that are pulling you back that aren't in line with your big goal. Uh, To do that, to find it emotionally, you have to rewind to the first time you ever had that self-limiting emotion. Uh, After that, number four, we're going to create a picture of your inner child being happy in those previous unhappy moments. And then finally, we're going to bring the inner child, that little tantruming child who's now happy, uh, to the party of the big girl right at the end. Before we go through those five steps, you talk about the subconscious uh, in this process and, and how if something is on your mind in the subconscious, then it's true. Tell me a bit about that. So the subconscious is is really our big mainframe computer. So when we're thinking consciously, that's like a almost like a calculator in comparison uh, to NASA. And when things are on the subconscious, a lot of things happen. You have individual programs which will combine things like an opinion of what happened. You may have the, the physiology of that moment, such as your heart rate, whether you're sweating, etc. You may have your eye movements. The, the brain can remember those things. Uh, but also the whole picture of what happened, you know, is sitting there. So if you think back to childhood, you may have of a moment, you may have a picture there, you may have a feeling about it, you may have a taste or a smell, there may be some voices or some sounds associated with it. So it becomes real. And when you think about that, it 
it is it is real to you and you're in that moment. This is why often the same thing can happen to two people and they have completely different memories of it, neither of which believes that what they're saying is incorrect, uh, but both but both of them have a very different account of the situation. It's not just what happens, it's the opinion that happens on the subconscious. So the subconscious is, is really our big mainframe computer. So when we're thinking consciously, that's like a, almost like a calculator in comparison uh, to NASA. And when things are on the subconscious, a lot of things happen. You have individual programs which will combine things like an opinion of what happened. You may have the, the physiology of that moment, such as your heart rate, whether you're sweating, etc. You may have your eye movements. The, the brain can remember those things. Uh, but also the whole picture of what happened, you know, is sitting there. So if you think back to childhood, you may have of a moment, you may have a picture there, you may have a feeling about it, you may have a taste or a smell, there may be some voices or some sounds associated with it. So it becomes real. And when you think about that, it is real to you and you're in that moment. How does that fit into creating your goal? Well, well the point with the goal is a lot of times stuff goes on our subconscious um, unbeknownst to us and so our subconscious is being programmed all the time with who we think we are and all these belief structures and what we're capable of doing and we have no real conscious input into that so that's not true the truth of the matter is we can put uh, our own conscious input into that so instead of allowing our subconscious just to be programmed in an ad hoc way we can program ourselves in line with where we really want to go Right. So when we say this episode is about how to reprogram your brain to create your goal, it's also reprogramming basically your subconscious. It's true. Our subconscious is working all the time. It's quite interesting. People always talk about brainwashing, which I always think is quite funny because surely pure brainwashing is just clearing all the thoughts out your brain. That sounds like washing to me. Sounds like meditation. It does. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, it goes back to the to a conversation that we were having um, yesterday saying, you know, if somebody said you're nothing or you're out of your mind, you'd think that was a, uh, you'd think that was an insult. But actually in Eastern cultures, or if you like meditating, um, being nothing or being a clearing's great and being out of your mind is exactly what you're trying to do. So number one, creating a picture of your future in your head. How does that work? Well, it's very important. I mean, um, there's a reason why people who create the future uh, 20 years before it actually happens and invest in it and create big companies are known as visionaries. So the future is very much created by pictures. Uh, and and um, a lot of people do like vision boards where they put lots of pictures together and they keep looking at these pictures of the future they want. They either do it on their computer or they do actual sort of collages that they put in their fridge, etc. Um, so it really is about creating a big picture in your head. And again, you can do a vision board as well. So if you saw yourself in five, ten years time, where would you like to be? Imagine there was a photograph that I showed you of you in ten years time. So maybe, Liv, you'd be, say, on the beach with your, your partner. Maybe you might have a couple of kids, a dog. Uh, if you saw a picture of yourself, clearly, how would you look? Well, you know, what would your eyes look like? I think it's always a great 
thing to start with. So would they be clear and happy and smiling face? Uh, your body, would it, I would assume your body would be fit and lean and... Uh, uh, and you'd be walking happily with, you know, your partner, maybe your kids, maybe the kids are jumping up and down in puddles, causing trouble or, you know, in a, in a fun way. And um, you could you could see you can, you're starting to create your future now. And again, within that, there's quite a lot of things. So clearly your health was good at that at that point and will continue to be good. Clearly you have your partnership. It talks about family. You know, again, it might be that you've got a letter that says you've just won podcaster of the year, you know, that you're doing and you've got to fly off to L.A. to collect, uh, collect an award. I remember for those of you who've listened to podcast one or two, and we made sort of a pie chart looking at all the areas of your life so we could symbolize that. So people, some people will then have a have a thing that symbolizes the fact they've got a million dollars in their bank account at that point. You know, they can see the house that they're living in. Uh, they can see people around them. So within that picture, you know, who's there with you as well is very important. So is this what you would call manifesting? It is a form of manifestation, yeah. Again, in other words, we're taking nothing and we're creating something from it. So it goes through stages of thinking about it, considering it, choosing it, writing it down, manifesting it, having it in our minds so we're in line with it and then eventually taking action, which will be in episode five, we'll be talking about that. How specific can you be with this picture? The more specific, the better. As I often say to people, once you can see and feel your curtains in your front room or your blinds, uh, you know you're on the right track. Once you know that you, you look at your picture and go, actually, I think I'll have a slightly different brown colour to those blinds or a uh, tint. So, yeah, the more real you make it, the better it is. Because the thing is, again, we go back to an earlier point that you reminded us about, that anything on the subconscious, once it's there, it believes it's real. However it got there, whether it happened through reality or it happened through just thinking or dreaming, once it's on the subconscious to our subconscious, it's as real as every other mental program and belief. So then number two, combining all your senses in that picture. So do you mean bringing in senses of smell, of touch? Absolutely, yes. Um, anyone who's done neurolinguistic programming or, you know, always a practitioner will sort of be nodding saying, I know where you got that from. Uh, but very much, I mean, this is that world. Our subconscious has made its program because of all our senses. I won't go into them, but believe it or not, I came up with 30 senses that we have. Uh, but for this, we have six main senses that we'll look at. Uh, people in NLP call them the VAKKGO system, which is V is visionary, so it's pictures. A is auditory, which is hearing, so it's sounds. K is Feelings. Now, there are two types of feeling, which is why there's 2K. There's an emotional feeling. I feel happy. I feel sad. Um, and there's also a physical feeling. You know, I feel warm. I feel cold. I have pain. I have no pain. My muscles are tingling, etc. So there's those two types. And then gustatory is taste and olfactory is smell. So it's as easy as that. And a lot of times when I do this, I actually write a V and, a, and then under the V an A and then under that a K and then another K and then a G and an M. For, you know, with your picture on the beach, you know, if you look at it, your vision, well, you've, you've seen the vision, you've seen the sea. So what might you hear? Well, you may hear the waves. You may hear your, your partner or husband-to-be saying how much he loves you. You may hear the kids giggling about something. Uh, and then how are you feeling? Well, you've 
probably feeling joyous, happy, graceful. Um, and then the other feeling, well, your muscles may feel, you know, stretched and happy. You may have been to the gym. Uh, you feel warm, but not too warm. You know, what are you tasting? Maybe you're you're sipping some lemon water. What are you smelling? Well, you may smell some kelp from the ocean, or you may smell your husband's aftershave. The more real you can make it, the better. Interestingly enough, you know, the picture is the most important part. Uh, but different people's brains work slightly differently. So some people... Uh, smell is really important to them. Some people, sound is really important to them. Um, for a lot of people, it's the emotion around it is very important. So, again, it's really, it's really good to have all those parts in your future. Moving on to step three, rewinding to the first time, you had those self-limiting emotions that we talked about in an earlier episode. How do we do that? Maybe this is the most difficult step in many ways. The big question people often ask, well, how do I find the first moment I thought something or did something? Um, how do I get there? You know, it's hidden from me. It's, I keep feeling all these emotions around it, but I don't know where it is. Um, and the word emotions is really important. We mentioned that your future is created by big visions, big pictures. Uh, the past is stored by emotion. So... Often what happens is the emotion keeps coming back again and again and again and again. It's like the same DVD within your subconscious is being played again and again. Uh, but what you're feeling is just the emotion part. So most of the time people don't realize that these emotions aren't from today, but they're from 20, 30, 40, even 60 years ago from some of our listeners. So what you need to do is categorize the emotions you have which are pulling you back. They could be anger, they could be guilt, they could be the feeling that you're just not good enough. Um, and if you, if you feel that, you categorise it, and then you start going back over all the times that you had those emotions, and you can scribble them down. Having done that, you may want to look at, uh, go to the first time that it ever happened. And the co most common time is between the ages of about two to three and seven years old, believe it or not, then sort of teenage years also. But that tends to be the most common time these emotions were made. I remember I was dealing with a soldier and he actually wanted to go into the police force and you had to have maths. We get back to a time he's about five or so years old and in his class he's sitting there, two plus two equal five. And the teacher says, can anyone answer? And he puts his hand up and he says, yes, 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 it's five. And the teacher said, no, no, it's not five. And he does again, two plus two, one, two, three, five. Yeah, it's five. So, and he kept doing it until the teacher said, listen, are you stupid or something? And that created that emotion. I must be stupid. I can't get this right. And from then on, he, he just couldn't do maths. Another example, and this clearly would be an example for a psychologist to deal with, not for someone to deal with from this podcast. Um, but I remember I uh, had a patient and she suffered from anorexia nervosa, very thin, lovely, lovely young lady. She's sort of mid-twenties and very clever, working hard. And she'd struggled. She'd been in and, in and out of hospital. And we got back to that emotion of, you know, I'm not good enough, I can't eat. You know, if I eat, my whole life will be ruined. Uh, and again, we went back bit by bit. And eventually we got to a moment when she was about six 
and she's at a wedding and she's eating, you know, at the table quite happily. And her grandma came up to her and says, stop eating. If you keep eating, you'll be fat. And if you'll get fat, you'll never meet a boy, you'll never get married and you'll never have children. So, wow. yeah, I mean, I don't think the grandma meant to be that horrible. It just came out that way. And maybe she didn't exactly say that. But in the brain of this child, this is what was said. And the most important thing was the opinion that the child made was, if I keep eating, this is what will happen to me. So eating will basically ruin my life. In my belief, that was the starting point of anorexia nervosa, which unfortunately uh, severely affects the life and can even end in death with some patients. So, you know, being able to find out why, how your brain's been programmed is really, really important. I mean, if we go back to the sports world, and this made a huge difference to a certain player. I was working with a, a tennis player back in the UK, and this, this player was hoping to become a top professional player, but just couldn't quite make that leap, even though her abilities were really good. When it came to a really important point, you just miss it. I spent time chatting with her, and we went back to the emotion, and it came back to when she was practicing, her dad used to teach her. And uh, if she missed, her dad would hit her on the back of her legs. Oh, no. And the dad did it because he thought that was the right thing to do. It's sort of like Pavlov's dogs, if people know Pavlov's dogs, and training her. So she had an association that if she misses a shot, uh, then she gets pain. Um, and that doesn't work, you know. So clearly, it um, as soon as she got into that thing, she can't miss. And as soon as you decide you can't miss, the word miss becomes so big in your brain that that's probably what you're going to do. It's funny, I realised recently that I had um, an issue with guilt and I actually did go back and I realised that I ha did have guilt around a moment when when I was a baby, I fell down the stairs and my sister cried and cried and cried and cried and cried about it. She's four years older than me. And obviously I didn't remember that as a baby, but as a child I was told all the time about the moment when my when I fell down the stairs and my sister was so upset about it and I realised that that was tied in with, with the guilt that I very irrationally can feel and I actually worked through it and I don't have that anymore at all but it got to the point where I would walk into a shop and I think people would think that I was going to steal something even though I wasn't and it was so irrational. Um, well, I think one of the most important things for our listeners to hear if something's very irrational on the conscious mind it's probably extremely rational on the subconscious mind the subconscious has its own rules it's completely different than the rules of our conscious mind one rule that i'll give you today is that the conscious the subconscious mind doesn't really do time like if i got our listeners and and yourself to think back to a time uh to a friend at school you probably got a picture in your head of a friend and probably an opinion. They were nice and maybe a feeling around it. But did you sit there thinking, well, that was 25 years ago or 20 years ago? Or did you just get a picture as if the person was there now? You'd expect that person to walk in as a five-year-old. Mm. It's only our conscious mind that will go, oh, well, I'm 20, blah, 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 and that was... Uh, and our mind will work it out. It doesn't do time, and it doesn't do time in the past and it doesn't do time in the future so if i said to you i can create your future on your conscious mind um so that it's uh, so this is going to happen your rationality of the conscious mind was all that stupid the only thing we know about the future is you can't predict it and you can't 
you know, it'll happen when it happens. Whereas if I put a, a future on your subconscious, subconscious goes, yeah, that makes sense. And in fact, your subconscious has already got a future, which it believes you're going to go into. And it's normally created from your past. So I'll just give you a bit more of what you've already got. So it's not like we're creating something for the future and there's nothing there. You've already got a future going to happen that your subconscious is pulling you to. So if we move on to step four, which is creating a picture of your inner child being happy in those previously unhappy moments that we just talked about. So if we take that guy who was in the math class, two plus two equals five. Yes. How, how did you do that with him? How did you work through that? Well, again, first of all, you get them to see that it's actually a four-year-old or five-year-old who, who's, uh, who's made that opinion. So we get him to sort of come out and see it from above uh, and realise that although he may have felt that, that was the feeling of a five-year-old. And then we may change it slightly. So we get the teacher just to say to him, you got this wrong, but I know you're going to be brilliant at maths and any sum you want to do, you'll be able to learn. And then you could, or you could have their family come in and give him a big hug and say, you're brilliant at maths, you're going to be great at maths. And you reframe that second. That second he made the opinion, you're going to put in a brand new mental program on that. And suddenly, instead of being pulled back by a program saying you're rubbish at maths, we're going to put a program that says he's really good at maths and he's going to be really good in the future. The point is neither of those beliefs are true, but they become true. So if we can do an example, if you had two children of equal ability and one believes they're very good at maths and one believes he's very bad at maths and they're both at that point as good as each other and they add two plus two equals five... The one who thinks he's very good at maths is likely to do it again and figure out why he got it wrong. Whereas the one who thinks he's rubbish at maths will probably just give up. So the one who believes he's good at maths will figure out how to do it and then learn more maths. And the one who thinks he's stupid is often going to give up and won't get good at maths. So the one who believed that he could be a genius can become a genius and the other one won't. Genius is more application than ability in many ways and in belief structures. So we become what we believe we're going to become. How did you work that out with your patient that had anorexia? Well, again, you go back through the emotions and we, we got to that point. So I think everything is straightforward and obvious. We just have to understand the rules of what we're dealing with. So anorexia, the, the belief structures are very much on the subconscious. You know, it's stored by an emotional system. So you need to go back through the emotional system to that moment. You know, and we did we did really well on it. So, of course, we, we, as I like to call it, reframed that moment. So we decided what was right for that uh, young girl, that actually we got the grandma to say in that moment, actually, you're a beautiful girl and you can have complete control over your food. And whether you're big, small, fat, whatever you want to be, you're completely lovable and you can have the life you want. Do some people struggle with actually reframing that because... It's not true. The grandma didn't say that. Um, yeah. I mean, you can reframe it in a different way. But did the grandma really mean that? And did the grandma really say that? Mm. We don't know what the grandma actually said. That's the memory of the child. But when it has such an impact that it's affecting somebody's health so much... I mean, clearly this is something that a doctor, psychologist, you know, needs to be doing, you know, with an example like this... Um, but the point is, it's almost like a, a surgeon taking out something that can kill you. Mm. You know, that's how important that was. And, and you f reframe it and you ask, it's up to the person what you put back in. 
You know, it's very much talking to somebody. I don't put, I wouldn't put something back into somebody's mind unless they agreed that that was fine to do. And you can always choose to take my example or their own example. And so with the tennis example... Yeah, the tennis example is more difficult because, of course, you can imagine if you've got a physical insult, there's a lot more of your senses being, uh, being affected. So again, something as severe as, as having a physical punishment for not doing the right things, I think we need a professional to be looking at that. And we chatted with a way around that. How could we make that incident okay? So we... We just talked about the fact that every time she was allowed to miss a shot, and actually every time that she did a shot, if she did her best, she got a big cuddle from her new boyfriend. So we actually took the, the boyfriend she had at that moment and we took him back to the past and she got a big cuddle. And funny enough, she'd had a lot of pain in, in parts of her body and those pains went. So it made a big, big difference. It seems like when we're born and as children, like you said, everything's about us and we do tend to take some things in a negative light. And it's almost like we need to unlearn that and be more positive about our memories. But we have no control when we're children. Absolutely, it's a human condition. So anyone sitting there go, who's thinking, oh, I'm stupid, I shouldn't feel like that. Well, I'm sorry, but welcome to the human race. And if it makes you feel better, the reason I do all this is uh, I have and do have as many difficulties as everybody else it's the human condition what's very it's like a computer system it has its positives and its negatives if you understand how it works you can reprogram a computer you can make it work the way you want it to work and i do think everyone should have the keys to their own mind to think what they want to think one of the big points of why advertising budgets are so high and why uh, you see all the billboards and all that is we're being reprogrammed all the time, every second, every day, by television sets, by um, advertising, by what people are telling us, by our schoolmates. By, you know, you look at trends and all those things. It's a form of programming. Um, so we're being programmed all the time and we're sort of being programmed and not thinking about it. And we think that's normal. But actually, in reality, surely we should be deciding who we want to be. And if anyone's going to reprogram our brains as adults, it should be ourselves. We're going to finish this episode off with a big bang, with a party. <laughs> That's number five. It is number five. So what's the party that we're bringing everyone to? So, well, your big girl. So you've been working on your big girl. You've been working hard to sort of create it in, in your six senses. Um, you know, we talked about the vision and everything. But it wouldn't be a good enough party unless you brought your little child who struggled so much for you to be part of it. So this small child who couldn't do their maths um, or who was told by grandma that, you know, she'd never meet her husband if she eats um, and the tennis player really needs to come to the party. So you might find you've got the five-year-old you and the 17-year-old you and the 13-year-old you and a 26-year-old you when your first boyfriend let you down or whatever. Uh, coming to that party happy and, and feeling loved and being part of all of that. So this is another visualisation technique that we can do? Well, it's very important. The way the subconscious works, and it's another rule of the subconscious, is when something happens in the and it, it goes into your now moment, which soon becomes your past, uh, it creates something for the future as well. So normally it says, this has happened to you now, you failed your maths exam. Not only have you failed your maths exam as a five-year-old, you're also going to be rubbish at maths when you're 35. So we need to do the same thing, but in a positive way. 
So you bring your inner child, you bring your past to your future. It's one of the steps that I don't think many people use, but I found it's a step that I find invaluable um, to really complete the whole picture to change things. So is the party happening now? Well, this party is a party of your future that you're visualising, say, in five years' time. And a lot of this, as we spoke in earlier podcasts, is once it's in your mind and you're heading in that direction, uh, you can then be in the moment and your life can be like a party. One of the big sayings is be in charge of your mind or your mind is in charge of you. Just going through those five steps, we had number one, create a picture of your future in your head. Two, then combine all your other senses in that picture. So your other senses of smell, of touch. Three, emotionally rewind to the first time you had those self-limiting emotions that we talked about in episodes one and two. Four, create a picture of your inner child being happy in those previously unhappy moments to reframe the inner child beliefs that aren't in line with your big goal. And five, finish off with bringing your inner child to the party of your big goal. So you're there with your five-year-old self, your teenage self, all yourselves enjoying the future. And uh, that's a very exciting thing to do. It might bring a question, though, to our listeners who might say, well, that's all very good. Now I've got both good and bad memories of things in my mind of my past and my future. Uh, Which one wins? And how do I make... um, the future I really want win and I call that the tug of war of life and guess what the next episode is going to be the tug of war of life so how (laughs) do you reinforce what you want and get rid of what you don't want The Game Plan with Dr Nick Krasner is recorded at the studios of Podcast One Australia produced and edited by Liv Proud audio production by Darcy Thompson executive producer is Jamie Show. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app or look us up on iTunes.